We have an executive committee of four officers and a total board size of nine. The committee meets monthly and the board meets every other month. It feels overkill to me to have such an active executive committee, particularly given our small size. Am I missing something? Is there a reason to have such an engaged executive committee? So I think for your size organization, you are completely spot on. It's totally overkill. Uh, I think you're not missing anything. Like at the end of the day, like there's a trend when you look at all the national trends about executive committees in general for organiz- you know, nonprofits that don't, that aren't huge, like don't have huge boards, right? You've got what a board of nine, whether it was even 15 board members isn't a huge board, but like, you know, you hear these, these crazy anomalies of like a board that's got 30 or 50 people, then yeah, maybe an executive committee makes sense because you need to kind of activate things in between meetings because you can't get, you know, the time sensitivity of getting the full board together and meeting quorum requirements and bylaws is tough. So, I mean, the trend is away from executive committees, either like completely dissolving them or actually just only using them on a very limited basis, right? Like maybe it's for the annual ED evaluation. Maybe it's for like a time sensitive or crisis situation. Maybe maybe there's something you really want to position or think through that you want to present to the larger board. So that's where like very much as needed, like so that it's not a standing meeting. It's literally called as needed um, is what I'm seeing and what I would recommend based on your size, you know, not knowing a ton about your organization, but for nine, a board of nine, I mean, like first it's just that, that doesn't even make any sense to me. Right. Like, and it probably was a structure, like for a while people were like, oh, this is the committee you're supposed to have. Right. It's your office. Generally it's your board officers, but like, is that really working? Like, I, I, you know, is that really working for you? We need to take a look at all our committees and ask that, like, do we really need this committee? And for this one, like, it leads to board disengagement and it leads to a ton of repetition. The people on the executive committee feel like they're repeating a lot of stuff that like then is done at the board meeting. And the people at the board meeting who aren't part of that cool club of executive committee members feel like all the decisions are being made without them or whatever, like however it's run, but just feel like they're not kind of like their voice isn't an equal to the others. And that's problematic, right? Like each individual board member has fiduciary responsibilities. So like you can't like just have a quasi, like a board board within a board, which is what I think most executive committees turn into. So um, I've obviously got some strong feelings about it. And again, like I'm not saying never an executive committee. I think if you've got board members that are sh- like throughout the United States or you have a really large board, um, there might be some benefits for an executive committee. Um, and th- that might make more sense, but not for the kind of organization you're talking about. So I'll, I'm going to step back like a whole step because Stacy started talking about this as if everybody already knew. Oh, what yes. Was, right? Shame so, on which me. Gets strong opinions. So uh, let me let me just ask you a couple of questions. So what's the what's the use case for an executive? What's an executive committee when it's done well supposed to do? I mean, usually you see executive committees that step in. So so it truly is those time sensitive like items. So like a crisis, maybe there's. I don't know. I don't know what the crisis is. There's a crisis or there is like a staff that's gonna, you know, threatening a lawsuit, like something that you need to rally the troops quickly 
and like make some quick decisions is generally, right? Like where you see executive committees having a lot of value. Some organizations put all the kind of roles of a governance committee, like all the board management and the board managing itself with recruitment and engagement, they put that on an executive committee. So I guess if you don't have a governance committee, you could do that. But then I have concerns about what if some of your problems are your board officers? Then you've got a, a group of officers also doing the like governance stuff, right? So, so I mean, I just, you know, I have not seen, I've not seen executive committees used well um, and, and I do think the ED evaluation tends to be a place that lives. So like, so it can be a periodic committee, but like, doesn't need to be something that like, it's, it's like form follows function, right? Like, so, so I don't know, to me, that's what needs to be asked. So the, so maybe if you are relying on your executive committee, it means either you're you're, maybe your bylaws and you need to look at your bylaws right. again to make sure that you're not giving your board too many responsibilities. Like, like for example, the, the check signing authority, like nothing can be signed right. over a thousand dollars without the board's approval or something. Like maybe you've got something dumb like that, that you need to address. And that's the reason you need to keep dragging these poor people in to sign checks or something like that. Yeah. Um, you or know, maybe though, Andy, yeah. bylaw, like, I think bylaws are the first place. And, like, the bylaws should say what the executive committee can't do. Like, you and I have both seen where an executive committee could theoretically, because the way their bylaws are written, hire an executive director, just that executive committee, or fire an executive director. That is not, that, that is not a committee's role. That is the whole right. board's role, right? Like, which right. is why I get so bent about this, because <laughs> I think sometimes people, like, or like, oh, the executive committee can approve the budget or change the budget. Like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> then what's the point of having a board? Have a board of four <laughs> people if that's what you want to do. Like, right? Yeah. Or if they're so disengaged that you can never get quorum and the only thing you can ever get done is through the executive committee, that that points to a different problem that you're probably going to Yeah. Have. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think we've learned something today. I, like an executive committee feels like... <laughs> like the appendix that you just need to get removed because there's no real good use for it anymore. I've not seen anyone using it well, other than, like I said, if there's something really time sensitive or, you know, there's other couple of factors, but um, of size of the board or spread across, across the country, but do away, be gone, simplify your life, right? Like everyone will thank you for it. I promise. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate that you're here. I'm glad that when the new episode thing pops up, you decide to click that and say, hey, let's see what Andy and Stacy have to talk about today. So we've got a few good questions. We've got some guest experts, a whole stack of guest expert questions coming up pretty soon. Um, so stay tuned for those. If you have questions, if there's somebody you want us to talk to, if there's somebody you want us to reach out to, we're happy to do that. Um, come up with a question for them. And, and hey, Stacy and I will call them, chase them down and get them to answer it. <laughs> that would be fun. So <laughs> we if there's somebody hunt them down. Yeah, you want to know like why what does a funder really want to know um when they're asking us these questions or 
Um, our auditor said this thing that I don't understand. What does it mean? Like anything you can think of, send them to us. We will, we will get the answer for you, which is like, how cool is that? It's like this totally free service. And the only, the only thing that you have to pay for it is the little bit of pain and suffering of listening to the music right at the beginning. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Which is great music, by the way. But I will tell you on a side note for those listening, when we first started, that music has grown on me. But when we first started, (laughs) I totally insulted that music and then found out what, wasn't that your own recording, Andy? Yeah, like, I just I do those because it's fun, and I'm actually changing the ones at the end every once in a while, just just as like a little Easter egg. So the end music starts like the beginning, but then it gets weird. So I've done like three or four different versions now. So so, so if you turn it off self, right at the end, like, there's like usually 30 seconds of something new. So that's like a good a, reason to a listen. A good to lesson the end. for me: stop like saying stuff like this, Stacy. Like insert like insert foot and mouth. Like that was one of those moments. So. But this is a good, I think this is a good learning experience about feedback. So if something, if there's something you don't like about this podcast, I think it would be amazing that you let us know. If there's something that we could do better, if there are people you want us to talk to that are different, who we usually normally talk to, if there's topics you want us to tackle that we're not normally top tackling, if it's too long, if it's too short, if you don't like the fact that it's in stereo, what don't you like? Let us know. And we will, I mean, we're here to, to make this something that you want to click the button when a new episode pops up that you're excited about it. So tell us what we could do to make you excited about listening to that next episode. I have a guest expert Tracy Newick. And if you have not met Tracy, this is a, a must do. She's uh, quite the bubbly personality, very knowledgeable. And I got acquainted with her just a handful of months ago and really appreciate uh, her being with us today. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Stacy. Thanks for including me. So Tracy, just uh, I'll give a, a super quick bio, but have her dive into the, the good stuff. Uh, she is the president and chief people strategist. Is that not like the coolest name ever, title ever? I love that. Anyways, president and chief people strategist of her consulting firm, TGHR Consulting. And uh, at the the sort of tagline is they provide solutions for your human capital needs. So we all uh, have human capital needs, any of us working with people, right? And so um, it's great to have a people expert on the show. Tracy, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, anything of your passions, your interests, your background you want to share with our audience? Well, thanks. Yeah, so I was, I'm from the Midwest. I was born in Chicagoland and I moved to Nevada to attend UNLV, thinking I would be um, accomplishing a hospitality management degree and go into operations in um, the hospitality and gaming industry. And then I realized through that journey how much I loved organizational psychology and human resources. So I was blessed to open the MGM Grand when I was still going to college. Back in the days, we took 100,000 applications to hire 10,000 people for the internet. (laughs) So that was pretty crazy, right? How far we've come with technology, right? I can't even imagine. I got to just stop you there. Anyone who's ever opened a hotel right? Like it is one of, it is a beast. Like, so any of our listeners, if you've never, if you've ever known someone who's done it, I mean, people say you pretty much give your life to that until it gets opened. Was that, was that your experience? It, it definitely calls for a personality type. Yes. We're kind of, we always joke that we're gluttons for punishment, but we would do nothing. We'd rather do nothing else. So there's this team of 
of business professionals that seems to be drawn to these opening projects, but it's a lot of fun. And there's nothing quite like opening the doors on the first day and see the team come together. And you've, you've kind of gone through a war in a, in a roundabout way and really just um, have this camaraderie that is hard to duplicate um, elsewhere. So after going through that major opening in hospitality, I had a career working in large organizations and eventually running HR teams. And I loved it. There came a point in my career, though, that I realized, you know, I have my own, I have this entrepreneurial spirit that I wanted to explore. So without much of a plan, honestly, I started my company about seven years ago, figuring I could use the skills and the knowledge I've learned um, with new, new builds, running large HR teams, and um, working in just a diverse environment. And support other businesses that need need help in the HR arena. Awesome. Well, I, I think uh, it sounds like you've got quite a quite a bit of expertise and experience, probably a lot of stories too. So we'll talk about those another day, but appreciate you joining us. Um, we are going to dive right into our question and and get your counsel on it. I could use some HR advice. One of our longtime staffers had a major medical emergency and has used up her six weeks of PTO. Our medical leave policy states that after PTO is used up, then leave is unpaid. I'd like the organization to still pay her while she heals. What is the best and most equitable way to do this? That's a really great question. And I actually get that question quite a bit. Um, there's a few things we need to take a step back at and look at first. Okay. Um, every There's a, a federal law called the Family Medical Leave Act. And depending on the size of your employer group, if you have more than 50 employees, you may be required to comply with FMLA. So there are limits, which FMLA in most states does not require payment. Um, but you may have to offer employees up to 12 weeks of time off. Okay. So there's part A, which is evaluating what federal and then every state has some requirements also um, that may um, would be an area you may need to look at, first of all, to understand what your responsibilities are as an employee. I'm sorry, as an employer. And Tracy, can I stop you for a minute? If there isn't someone, if someone doesn't have that, right, like, most of the many of the nonprofits that are our listener, very few nonprofits, right, have 50 or more employees. So I'm guessing then does that mean they do not fall under FMLA? It would depend what state they're they're located in. So for example, Nevada, under 50, you don't need to worry on anything um, that's mandated. Um, however, California is a good example. If you have more than five employees in California, you uh, the the their their laws are very similar, almost mirror FMLA. So okay. really you've got to evaluate what state you're in and understand what those requirements are. Okay. Um, so there's that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Okay. Now from there, so the individual has six weeks of PTO that they've used and they need additional leave time. Um, I think you are not required I always take a step back and say, what is the culture and what is our real flexibility from a business, um, from our business environment? Are we at a peak time? Do we have some flexibility? 
and evaluate um, what, what actually would work for your environment. Um, I always advocate to try to work with your employees. You know, in this market, it's really hard to find good employees anymore. So the more we can work with someone on, um, on helping them be successful, especially for a medical reason, I always would advocate for that. Um, a couple of things you wanna be mindful about though, it, especially on the medical situation. If you're offering employer health, sponsored health insurance, there are policy um, guidelines, usually within those health plans that require a certain amount of hours worked. Um, you just wanna be mindful before you make any decision on behalf of the employer as well as the employee, that you understand clearly what that would look like, just so employees aren't surprised if there happens to be a change in their medical coverage. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that one. Uh, so, so theoretically, someone could, if they aren't, you know, if they're not working time and they're using, they've used up their PTO, it, it sounds like maybe there's a possibility they would be discontinued from, from maybe the health insurance until they were actively working again. Is that what you're saying? There could be, yes. Okay. okay. So you would want to make sure, and this is a very easy, you know, of course, a missed um, situation often because people don't work in this arena very much, right? This is, yeah. especially for a small employer group, you know, how often does, hopefully it doesn't happen often that you need yeah. someone who needs extended leave like this, but just be mindful, check those policies, check with your broker, um, make sure you understand what that looks like because you don't want any surprises. Absolutely. And especially in states like Nevada, um, a lot of employers can offer continuation through COBRA, even if the employer can't continue the coverage. But there are some situations where COBRA plans are not COBRA eligible if your um, company is not of a certain size. So you just want to be mindful of all that stuff. So as you're approaching PTO payout, one of the keys is just consistency. If you feel you can offer the flexibility, make sure you're really clear on what that looks like. You know, um, unpaid time off is okay. Um, some employer groups want to offer an extended amount of time, but again, paid time, but that again, you're just opening yourself up to evaluate what happens to us if it happens again, and are we going to be able to afford or to handle the situation in the same way? So is there, have you seen, um, I know one of the things I've heard of people doing is, right, employees donating. Maybe there's employees who have unused PTO and That's they donate That's a really it. great point. Okay. Yes. So I think there's a couple of different avenues you can put in place for preventative um, support should this happen again. I mean, if you're in the throes of it, it's kind of hard to act on it right then. But yeah. employers can set up groups where people can donate their time off for others. Um, the key on that is clear policy, and um, but there are policies you can set up that are very, um, you know, team focused, um, and and they're really um, great opportunities to build that morale within the organization and support someone in need, and especially I guess that's kind of aligns along lines with why we are nonprofits, right? We want to support one another and create a culture that aligns with our mission. So that's that's really a great point, CSC, to reinforce that. The other thing that um, more employers are getting far, and I, this is actually, I didn't um, think this would turn into a benefits chat, but it's kind of, I think it's really relevant, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Is um, in addition to the time off, you know, there are a lot of employers are not, can't afford to offer company paid short-term and long-term disability. But 
there are options out there where you may offer those as voluntary benefits um, to give people an option to maybe purchase income replacement insurance so that if ever running into this kind of situation, that would be something that could provide additional income for them, even when their company paid or their, 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 their organization paid time off runs out. Okay. Okay. That's another great option. And I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, I'm, I'm going back to thinking about what something you said a little earlier regarding consistency and thinking about the potential precedent that could be set with this one situation that sounds like it may have been a first time situation for this organization. And I, I just wonder if you do, do you have a sense of, um, would, would your advice be to potentially, you know, obviously you keep a consistent policy, you have a consistent way of doing this versus, for example, having some discretionary clause at the front of your employee handbook that says, that allows you to make an exception. Like, I don't know, like, I guess I'm trying to just balance like kindness and humanity with, right, with, with the rules, the precedent and the business risk management piece of this. And, and how do you now, how does someone navigate that? It's tricky. It really, really is. So that's a really great observation. Um, I believe with policies like this, you know, um, the best way to structure them is it's, it's like a reasonableness policy, right? There is a situation where we may have the flexibility, but we don't commit to that flexibility, right? And sometimes these situations, again, hopefully not that commonplace, but need to be case by case at some level. Now, if it becomes more of a pattern, you know, there's certain things you can evaluate, you know, is it you, you can base, you, you could start setting up a real structured structure where you look at job performance and maybe certain roles in the organization may have different value for or, or and or maybe the person can work in this stage. A lot of people are starting to um, work remotely. Right. So I may not be able to physically come in the office, but I might be able to get some work done from home. So I think there's so many different um, components you need to look at. Um, to commit to giving anything more than your initial pay time off policy states, I, I would not adv ever advise of that, but there is a reasonableness, but you also have to keep it, but the ultimate, you still need to keep your, um, your organization running. Yeah, right. Sustainability, key question, key, key thought for nonprofits. Yeah. And if it means that the person may have to, like, you we may just have to leave, they may just need a couple months away. And then when they're ready to come back to work, there could be a new opportunity for them. It's not necessarily saying goodbye forever. And most, I find most employees that are in these situations understand and want, and, and it's a it's it's a really open two-way conversation. Is there would there be an opportunity to have you ever seen it like in a situation like this one where someone approaches it with a bonus, and I realize a bonus would be taxed, but like a bonus if their paid time leave is off, like. I don't know. I mean, that's probably mixing. I'm probably getting in dangerous territory with that question, but I have to ask it in case it's on people's minds. Explain your question, please, a little bit. So like a bonus. So I'm wondering if people ever um, think, OK, so you've used all your paid time off. We still want, you know, you still need time to heal and recover. And so we we want to give you some kind of financial incentive 
instead of changing a policy, is there an opportunity instead to offer a bonus? Yes, I have seen companies do that. And or and it really depends on the, the group and the leadership and their ability to spend. But I have seen business owners make a decision to say, hey, you know what, or they're recognizing their staff is having the exorbitant amount of medical bills, even though they may have a policy or not. Um, I've seen employers make decisions to give checks or give payment. But again, it's just a little bit, so you just need to be aware that that could set precedence for you. And some of it becomes just a, you know, a, a, a cost benefit analysis, right? It's maybe it's not what, you know, the law would suggest you do, but sometimes in our organizations, I think there's balance. Um, don't tell my attorney friends, they probably would get upset with me for saying that. But I really, I really think again, you know, I believe in servant leadership and, you know, and really compassionate leadership. Um, but we also want to make sure we have those structures to set healthy boundaries as well, because we can't say yes to all these requests either, because that won't be healthy for the rest of our organization and the rest of the team that needs gainful employment, right? Wow. Well, you've given, yeah, there's a lot to think about related to this and something that felt like a very simple question with a simple answer, as, as we find out often, is never quite as simple as it seems on first blush. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so is never, there anything? Never easy. Yeah, it's never easy. And it's any, any decisions involving people and people's lives. Um, that's, that's tough, right? Like we're all, I think, and, and really I'm sitting there thinking about from even the rest of the staff's viewpoint, how this situation is handled. Um, it, it sets the tone and to your original point, what's the culture, right? What's the culture in this organization? Because it, it this could set the tone for a lot moving forward and help increase morale about, I work for an amazing organization that cares about its people and is smart about the way it goes about it, right? Or gosh, I work for an organization that um, could care a lot. It's all about the bottom line, even though we're a nonprofit, it's all about, you know, th there's no human element. And I think that's the danger in something like this is trying to balance both of those sides of it. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's complicated, but it's complicated at some point, but then really is it. I think so many times, um, and, and I've noticed this, it's a, there, there are studies that some of this is also um, the, the thought processes are different based on generation as well. Um, but I think, you know, really it's sometimes just common sense, you know, what works for the organization, what works for that person, but also what does it then, if I take a step back, does it put maybe a burden on the, the remaining staff that I'm not looking at? So everyone wants to help that person, but, you know, really at the organization, what are the, the, um, the benefits and where, where do we need to align um, fixes to make sure we don't get, you know, don't make the, if, if, even if we make a different decision that we have a plan B in place to make sure the, the operation continues moving forward. Well, this has been uh, very helpful. I so appreciate you sharing your expertise, your time, your wisdom with us, Tracy. Um, thank you for that. And I would love to, as a closing question, um, ask if there's anything else you want to share with our listeners before we before we wrap it up today. Well, again, I really appreciate your um, you, the invitation to join you today. You know, I have a very soft spot in my heart for nonprofit environments. Um, one of my very first clients is a consultant. Actually, my two first clients 
we're in the nonprofit arena in the Las Vegas marketplace. And I just um, recognize the good work, you know, these your organizations do, these organizations do. And um, something that I often um, put into my for-profit businesses is the value added in getting engaged with the local nonprofit community. I think it's one of the best value adds to build teams, um, they, they collaborate, they get together, they get to get, do, do something for the community. And I think those are some of the best team building experiences um, that you can have. And um, yeah, if anyone would ever like to learn more about, you know, what I do, I provide fractional HR consulting. So I help with culture development, people planning, HR compliance. They can check out my website at um, t, um, tghrconsulting.com or email awesome. me directly at tracy at tghrconsulting.com. Awesome. Well, we will put your contact info in the show notes. We really appreciate it. And we also love, I know the nonprofits are going, oh yeah, I'm, I need to reach out to her. If she's got access to employer groups who can help us with our volunteer efforts or with anything, um, nonprofits are oftentimes looking for that. So, And I sincerely mean that. I'm always looking for groups that we can send my my um, my employer groups out to, to, to help. So... The, I would love to learn more about that as well. Very cool, Tracy. Well, thank you again for being with us. And thank you to all of you for listening to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. As a reminder, we make the show possible through your questions. So you know how to find us, nonprofiteverything.com, or you hunt down Andy and I, you've got our contact info and let us know what your questions are. So thank you. And thanks again, Tracy. Thank you. It's come and gone already. The Nonprofit Everything podcast. Did that just flash by, whiz by because you were just so engrossed in the content? I hope so. Thank you for listening. We certainly do our best to try to keep it entertaining and not a complete drudgery for you. So thank you for for listening. Thank you for being with us for another episode. And uh, we we make this content from your questions. So so truly. Do not make us come up with any obnoxious questions on our own. Like you don't want those. We don't want those. We want your questions. We want to know what's on your mind. So, uh, you know, find us and and let us know and uh, we'll get it covered for you. Thanks so, so much.